0: Hebrews thirteen verse four. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Uh, for any concerned parents, uh, hearing that Bible reading read out, going, we're going to spend the next 20 minutes talking about this. Uh, we're going to spend the last one minute, we're going to spend the first 19 minutes trying to understand uh, what's going on there. And This is a great application of what we learn um, from the first 19 minutes. It all makes sense in just a moment. Let me pray and then we'll dig deeper into God's word. Dear Father, we do thank you that we can get here to think about a new year uh, with you in mind. Lord, help us to look to you as we think about New Year's resolutions, as we think about what the year might have ahead. And Lord, let us uh, look in dependence of you as our Lord and Saviour. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is very exciting to kick off a new year with a clean slate, with a clean diary, to see what's in the road ahead. Uh, see what the future holds and it can be very exciting. What things have you got planned? What things are you going to try and achieve this year? Some, things ha- some of us have uh, big goals, some of us have little goals. Sometimes we're just happy for the little things in life, whether you're excited about new TV shows coming up, whether you're i I'm a celebrity, get me out of here fan, new series about to start soon. Or Married at First Sight, um, if you don't see it all during the ads, you'll soon get the idea of what that's all about. Or whether you just want reality TV to reflect reality, that could be another dream of ours. It could be your goal this year to find a new uh, phone, a phone without battery problems. Or maybe even find a new phone provider that is just as reliable too, that lives up to their promises. I have a new New Year's resolution, something I'm not sure whether you've tried, Um, But I'm sure I've never tried this. And that is to get fit and healthy and to lose weight. That'll be me this time next year, standing up the front. Uh, Can't wait to see how that one's going to turn out. How it's going to turn out. But others of us here have got big plans, serious plans, plans that are probably more achievable than that last one. Some of us are starting off new jobs this year or going for new jobs this year. Some of us are getting married this year and that's another big change. Others are having babies this coming year. Another thing that's exciting, things to be planned for. But whether you're having any of those big things or having small things, what New Year's resolutions or what things are you hoping for this next year? What are you dreaming about? What's what something you're going to do differently in the next year? And just to see how that's going to unfold. Because for many of us, it is a bit like this. Looking out into the, the future, looking over the horizon, seeing is it this winding road of ups and downs, twists and turns. Now, some people just call it fate, with whatever happens to you in your life. That's just the way the world works. Other people say it's good and bad luck. and What happens? You've got yeah, such a run of bad luck, you know, your luck's got to turn somewhere. But what, is, what does it mean if you're a Christian? What if you put your trust in Jesus? That we have do, do believe in a God, it's the God of the Bible, and we know him through Jesus, the one who walked this earth, the one who died on the cross and rose again. What if you're a Christian, how do you view the future? What certainty does it give you? Because it's meant to give us some assurance. It's meant to give us confidence. But how? How do you have confidence in the future? Or why do you have confidence in the future? Just because you might call yourself a Christian, what difference does that really make? So we're going over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a few of God's promises to people. Because in all the twists and turns of life, and all the ups and downs, all the change, because one thing is guaranteed to happen next year, is some sort of change in your life. With all that change, one thing that doesn't change is God's promises. It's God himself, and what he speaks to us, what he says to us, what he promises to us. Like the promise that we're looking at this morning, I will never leave you or forsake you. I mean, what difference does that make? He says it. But how can we go next year in confidence because we know God's promises? How can we uh, know that everything's going to be okay and have that assurance? Knowing that God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I want to show you this morning how this works in real life, in a real man's life called Joshua, and then what it works out for us, how that changes us and what we put our hope in. Joshua is a character in the Old Testament, a real, real man, and he was at a real turning point in time. See, he was a part of Israel's life when they were about to enter the promised land. So you can imagine him uh, on one side of the river, on the desert side of the river, the Jordan River's there, and the promised land's on the other side. But there's a problem with leading God's people into the promised land. See, their leader, Moses, has just died That's sort of where we pick up the story. And what's God going to do? How's he going to fulfill his promises? How's he going to take them into the promised land, into the future? We pick it up in Joshua chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. Where we're told, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then... "'You and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. "'I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. "'Your territory will extend from the the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, "'all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. "'No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life.'" As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, you'd think for someone like Joshua, an aspiring leader, he was one of the leaders of the community, this would be an exciting time. I am going to be the one that leads God's people into the promised land. I'm going to be the one known as the leader that conquers all the other nations. I'm going to be the one that steps up, and people will follow. It would be an exciting time with an exciting future. But in fact, for Joshua, there's lots of things that worry him. One, we're told in that first bit, Moses, their great leader, is dead. He was God's great leader. He's the one that's already taken them out of slavery in Egypt. That's where they were a generation ago. Slavery in Egypt. Told Pharaoh, you know, God is the real God, and showed him with all the the plagues and all, all the signs of God that God told him to do. Moses was the one that led them out into the desert uh, towards the promised land. Moses was the one that sustained them. He was the one that talked to God. God, we're hungry and God supplied them food and bread and manna. God, uh, Moses was the one who struck the rock and water come out so they'd have water wherever they went. Moses was their leader, their spiritual leader, but also their leader that was taking them somewhere and had great success and now he's got to the edge of the promised land. But now Moses is dead. Joshua's got big shoes to fill. Is he going to be like Moses? Is he going to be successful as Moses? Moses has done great things. Now Joshua's called to stand up. And now he's looking across the river into the promised land, across the Jordan into the promised land. Now this is not just a geographical shift. We're going to move from the desert into good fertile land. This is a good thing to do. But it's also a spiritual shift and a real life-changing shift because now they were just a group of nomads who were going from one place to another. Now they're going to uh, the promised land, which means a future they're looking at raising their families in the promised land, the land of milk and honey, the land of blessings. They're going to have jobs, they're going to have plenty of abundance. Life's going to be good in the promised land for future generations. You're going to set up your whole family tree in the promised land. There's a lot to be excited about there. A lot of change is going to happen. And a lot of things to get excited about for the future. But even for Joshua, he needs reassuring. See, in the next few verses, uh, it says, Be strong and courageous. This is God talking to Joshua. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give, to give them. Be strong and very courageous. In fact, two more times in this passage, Joshua's told, you know, you've got to be strong and courageous. You know you've got to be very strong and crea- courageous. It's like, you've got to stand up. You've got to be this person. But will you trust God in this? Is, can you trust God? See, is God the sort of God that's going to let you down or is He going to fulfill His promises? Can you trust Him? It's going on. But there's a few things going on in this whole line of thought and that is that all this is nothing. This whole be strong, courageous" talk is nothing without the promise God is always with me, God will never forsake me. I mean, we can all pat ourselves on the back and talk ourselves up. You, be strong and courageous this year. Everybody say, be strong and courageous. We could all do that. But it means nothing if God's not saying, don't worry, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm on your side. We're doing this together. It's the promise that that holds it together. Now, we can all make promises to each other. And we might have good intentions with those promises. Even this sort of promise, uh, I will never leave you or forsake you, is something uh, we do in our wedding vows, that we promise to each other. But even then, it's my best intention is to not leave or forsake you. But the reality is, our promises, you know, we try our hardest, but we're sinful people sometimes, those promises don't work and we have to acknowledge that through divorce. Or sometimes... uh, It's going to happen where one of you will pass away at some time or another but they've left me. We're not here forever for all times. See, it's just our humanity. We can't say this sort of thing with with a rock-solid guarantee. But when God says it, God's the king of the universe, the creator of the universe, with all power, with all authority. When he says it, and he's got a track record, he says even to Joshua, remember what I did with Moses? We took him. I took you people out of slavery, under Pharaoh. You are oppressed people. You are nothing people. And I made you into somebody. I took you through the desert. Now I'm leading you here to make you something. I've done these things. You can trust me. I'm the God of the universe and I don't change. And I'm making a promise to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's a promise we can trust. But what does that trust look like now for Joshua? If he's going to trust in God, is he pumped up? I'm going to be strong and courageous. Or what is this trust meant to be? What does it look like? Does God take him on some sort of military training to how to be a good leader, to lead these people? Does God talk him up? This is how to be a good spiritual leader? Well, he kind of does that. So he goes on uh, in verse 7. He says, Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. This is what trust looks like. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be pr- prosperous and successful. He says, always look to me. Always look to the book that's written about me. Always stay focused on me. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Just don't get distracted. Now, there was a time in my life where I was a bit fitter than what I am now, uh, and I took up mountain bike riding, and I really enjoyed my mountain bike riding. And there was one lesson I learned very quickly. In fact, I think i got a photo of me mountain bike riding. Uh, that's not actually me, except that was me to have more blood over what I was doing. But there's a typical example of me with my mountain bike riding. And I quickly learnt, riding through the bush, that you know, it's good fun to go fast, not just to know the tracks, but to get some adrenaline pumping, you want to go a bit faster on these tracks. But I soon worked out, like every time I'd come home, Kim can testify this, I'd have blood dripping off me somewhere, because I'd always have a stack. I go, why am I having these crashes? There was one time where I was riding down this path, there's this straight bit of path, down a hill, you get a fair bit of speed, and right at the end of this path it was a 90 degree bend to the left, down another hill. Looked really fast, really cool, good fun. But at the end of the straight, if you didn't turn left, there was a tree, it wasn't a big tree, it was... You know, so, around this one tree right at the end. So, I'm going down this track, going, How fast can I go? But I know I need to break at the end because there's a tree. It's not a big tree, but it's a tree big enough to hurt me. So, as I go down, am I time to break? Because I don't want to hit the tree. Am I getting close enough? Because I don't want to hit the tree. And you know what happened? I didn't take the bend, I went straight ahead. In fact, I didn't just side swipe the tree. I slowed down enough to hit the tree, not on purpose, mind you, square on that my bike tipped up, head-butted the tree, I had a helmet on, and landed back on my, on my wheels, square on the tree. I'm going, how did that happen? I know the track goes that way, but how does this happen? And I realised, talking to some other guys, they said, don't look at the danger, look where you want to go. So if there's a rock on the track, don't look at the rock because you'll hit the rock or the root or the stump. Look where you want to go. Look at the track. Don't look at those things. This is what God is saying. He says, look to me. Focus on me. If you look to the left, look to the right. If you look at the dangers or distractions or the other good things, that's where you're going to go. You're going to head off the track. This is what he's saying in the book uh, book of the law. He's talking about... At that time, what we would call Genesis to Deuteronomy, that first five books of the Bible, is what they had. Moses had written that. And he said, going back to the book of the law. Not that it's law, this is all the rules, and there's the Ten Commandments and things like that in it. But it's not all about rules, it's about how you know me. This is all about God's character, what he's done. What's God's priorities? What does God hold important? What does God do in particular situations? How is God merciful? How is he forgiving Look at the book. See what God does. And that way, you know what God is like, so you can live like him too. Don't stray to the left or right, but know God. Draw near to God. Get back to the book. Read it day and night. Meditate on it. And there's things that will distract you. The things that will go, actually, I don't need to trust God. I can trust in other things. When uh, Joshua leads the people into the promised land, uh, they come across amazing temptations, because God just opens up these cities for them, they come in, they just take whatever they want, because God's given it to them. Uh, But they had this thing where all the gold and silver, everything precious, would come together in one uh, pool, in a sense, because we're all working together as a team, right? But there's this man, Achan, that was sent in to pick up all the gold and all the treasure, uh, and he went in, he goes, you know, there's so much gold here, they won't mind if they miss something. You know, they've got to Israel, i have got a big pile of gold now. But I'm going to take this wedge of gold, and that's going to make a huge difference to my life and my family's life. If I sneak this out, then you can imagine, every time you've got a bill, do you work harder, do you do more overtime? I just scrape off a bit of gold. That's going to make my life easier. My inheritance to my kids. I got gold to set up my kids. Gold is going to be the answer. So he smuggled it out, and no one knew. He got away with it. Except for God knew. And God called him out on it. He says, look, some of you guys aren't being honest. But, but what he was calling Achan out on wasn't things like, you're greedy and you're not to be greedy. You've stolen and you shouldn't steal. Or you've lied and you shouldn't lie. All those things are wrong. But he called him out because you're not trusting me. You're trusting your gold. You're trusting your wealth. But I've led you into this country. I'm giving you Everything. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Trust in me alone. That's just an example. Of Is he looking at God or is he looking at other things that's going to give him the happiness and the joy of life, the assurance, instead of God? And Achan paid the price for it. Says lots going on here that can distract us. That's why God says, don't look to the left, don't look to the right, just stay focused on me. But this is a test then, We know we can trust God, He's the God of the universe, God has done all these things, He's faithful to His Word. Will I trust God? Will I trust God in this journey? Because what happens next is Joshua goes to his camp And he tells them the plan. Okay, in three days' time, pack pack up your stuff now. In three days, we're going to cross the river. We're going to go into the Promised Land and do what God's called us to do. But a key strategic part of the plan, don't go to the left, don't go to the right. We're going to look to God. Keep to the book of the law. We're going to draw near to God. We're going to live in total dependence on God in this. We're going to look to God. Stick to the plan. Now, there's a couple of things going on here. It sounds pretty, Joshua's just been doing what he was told to do. But there's a couple of big questions. Uh, We don't find out this information until chapter 3 of Joshua, when they actually go to cross the river. But what chapter 3 tells us, it's harvest season, everything's been good and green because there's lots of rain and the river's in flood. It's uncrossable. But it's all right. God's on their side, they can get across. So God commands his priests uh, to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water and as they carry it into the water, the river stops flowing. So the whole group of the people can cross the river into the promised land. God is faithful again. Again, he allows them to do the impossible that he gets through on the other side. But there's a second question to this. As they cross the river into the promised land, as I said, it's not just a geographical shift. It's a, are we really doing this? Are we really trusting God in this? At least in the desert, we were safe. You know, We we survived the last 40 years. Things weren't too bad. As soon as we cross the river, a flooded river, that you can't cross normally, there's no turning back. You know, we like an exit plan. What about a plan B? What happens if our army gets decimated? Where are we going to go? What happens if they're chasing us, our families, our wives and our children? Where are we going to run to? We're going to be trapped. We're going to be cornered by by the flooded river. We're not going to be able to return. This is a real step of faith. Can I trust God? And they're going, yeah, actually, we will trust God. And they push forward under Joshua's leadership. And God is faithful to his promises. He gives them all the land they walk. Uh, he blesses them with you know, wealth and prosperity and the land of milk and honey. And they do live uh, a life. He, God sets them up. All credit to God. There's little times where they're distracted, We then lose focus on God. But God is faithful to his promises again and again and again. You can read the whole book of Joshua and see that. But we can see that it's a real testimony to God in that time. That's like, you know, we're talking thousands of years ago now. What does that mean for me and my trust in God? You know, God's called uh, Joshua, cross the river, trust me. Go into the other nations, trust me. But what's he calling us to do and trust in him? And what does that look like for us? Because even as we're looking towards a new year, what rivers are we crossing, metaphorically? Uh, What what land are we going into that's going to create change, It's going to, to build our faith? And how do we stay focused on God? In fact, as hard as it sounded back then for them to cross a flooded river, to conquer armies and nations... God's set us up in a much better place because instead of just pointing us to the book, God's actually come down to us and reached out to us in himself when Jesus came. Jesus is the same God that spoke to Joshua. Jesus of the Father, Son, the Spirit, it's the same God that worked in Joshua's lives and the people's lives. But then Jesus comes down to earth and he spends his time on earth and he hangs out with ordinary, everyday people, trying to show them how to be a part of God's family. And then he sits down with his disciples after he'd been killed, after that many people rejected him, they killed him. But even because he's God, that's not going to hold him back. He's never going to leave or forsake us, right? So he rises back to life. That's not going to finish him off. Rises back to life and he sits down with his disciples And he says to them something very profound. Uh, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the ages. Now we can ask the same questions as this Can I trust this God? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did you see what just happened? I just rose from the dead. I am truly God, the same God as Joshua, uh, that Joshua followed. I am that God. You can trust in me. But what does God want us to do? Well, Jesus makes it very clear of his mission uh, uh, for our lives is to reach the world. This is the river. This is the promised land. We want to build God's people. We want to see people come to life. We want to see people come into that promised land of eternity. He says, That's where I'm going. You need to follow me in this. You need to trust me. You need to, to follow that vision. And why should we follow him? Even though it's hard and rocky road, as twists and turns. He says, Don't worry, because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. I'm God this changes everything because we can go into next year thinking about what our challenges are thinking about what our priorities are but just in these few verses jesus saying let me show you Uh, look to me because i'm god know what my priorities are i want to see people saved i died so people could be saved and know me i died so people could come into the promised land if they trust in me that's my priorities How are our priorities lining up with his priorities? We don't have to go to to Genesis, to Deuteronomy, although that would be a good exercise to do, but to just to look at Jesus. What are his priorities? How are my priorities lining up with his priorities? And what happens when life gets hard? What happens when, when I feel like things are derailing, that he's not with me? He says, don't worry, I am with you. You can trust in me. I'm with you always. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you. This is who we are, God's people, going to this. Don't be distracted, don't look to the left or right, but follow Jesus, his priorities, with whatever we're deciding next year. There's this little verse at the, in Hebrews, one we touched on right at the start, uh, that it's spoken to a church in Hebrews. If you read the letter to the Hebrews, it's a book. Um, it was a letter written to a church. Um, that the church was going astray a bit. They weren't turning their back on God. They weren't saying, God... I'm giving up on you, I'm leaving you behind, I'm going in this direction. They were just kind of slowly letting go their grip with God. They are just slowly floating away. In fact, they are kind of not looking to God, but looking left and right. And there's a couple of little verses right at the end, just in chapter 13, where, where the writer's pulling things together. Uh, and he says, Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer, And the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, it's funny when you read all this, you go, These are just random thoughts being put together until you see it in the context of what does it mean to look to God and Him alone? Don't look to the left, don't look to the right. Because what is trying to sell us the dream? What is trying to say, trust me, I will be the answer to all your problems? Is it money and wealth? Is it our pleasures? Those sort of things are jumping up and down to try and get our attention. But even... When this was written 2,000 years ago, the writer is saying, No, look to Jesus. He will never leave you or forsake you. Don't take your eyes off Him. He's the one that can fulfill that promise, not the other things. He's the one we can trust. So let me just ask the question again. Whatever you're looking forward to next year, whatever you're thinking of doing, is it honoring to God? Does it align with His vision? And can you trust Him in that? And you can. He will never leave us or forsake us. Let me pray. Dear Father, I do thank you that uh, this is an awesome promise you've made to us. And Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness, that, that it's not, you're not a hot and cold God, particularly when, when we don't live your ways or we disappoint you. You don't give up on us. You don't just let us go. But you pursue us, you chase us, and you hold us tight. Lord, we are sorry that in this past year that we've often not looked to you, but looked the things that take our attention, the things that distract us. And Lord, we haven't grown the ways that we might have hoped, spiritually, we haven't always trusted you, lived your ways. But Lord, we pray now that you'd help us put it on our hearts, that we might have your priorities, that we might have your mission in mind, that we see your kingdom grow. No matter what that looks like for each of our lives, whether it's our workplace, in our own families, Lord, we just commit ourselves to you now. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us when we are weak, when we're getting distracted, that you would get our attention. Wake us up, Lord, even now as we sit here. Lord, if we haven't been holding you tight, if we've been looking in all sorts of directions, get our attention, Lord, draw us back to you and know that we can have assurance optimism for the future because of Jesus and we pray it in Jesus name amen